Good afternoon, ladies. We go ahead and start. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Continue to reflect on our hearts and the heart of Mary. Let's just ask her to session as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, as we begin our afternoon session, a little recap. We've seen our heart as a home and a sanctuary, the need to make it receptive and welcoming. And now, we're talking about the desire for, for the heart to grow, to have a greater capacity for God and for others, like the, the heart that expands so that it can draw in more water. And uh, water and more blood, I'm sorry. So we've been drawing more blood, increasing the capacity for others that the Lord sends to us. How does this, though, happen in our own spiritual hearts? We're not talking about the physical heart here. And so I want to spend a few moments looking to the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary for clues. I think it'll be pretty clearly obvious once I explain this, that what my thesis for today's talk is. And I, I want to talk about something that a friend of mine noticed in looking at images of the Sacred Heart or the Immaculate Heart. If you look at them, the, the heart is always outside of the chest. It's never like it's inside of the chest and there's a glass screen in front of it. Somehow in these depictions, or in the ways that Jesus and Mary have revealed themselves, it's outside of the chest. It is exposed. Have you ever noticed that? Which is a strange thing, but the reason is, or at least it seems, is that heart is exposed to show the vulnerability of Christ's heart, of Mary's heart. Because the thing is, if your heart's behind your sternum, I know enough about that, the sternum developed to keep your heart safe. But if there's no sternum and your heart is just exposed, well, then it is very vulnerable. And we talked about vulnerability from the Latin word vulnus, meaning wound or able to be wounded. So by Mary and Jesus' hearts being on the outside, it is able to, or they are able to be wounded. And so looking at our own specific hearts, that we don't like to have our hearts exposed. We don't like to be vulnerable because we've been hurt in the past, fear, shame. We, we keep our hearts back in our chest, hidden behind the wall so that no one can see it. And this is sort of the impact of our last talk. Hey, I've been hurt. Um, this is not pleasant. So therefore, I'm going to put my heart back in. I'm going to take and put the no vacancy sign up so no one can come in. But the reality is, it's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, if we are going to love as Jesus loved, if we're going to love as Mary Mary loved, we are going to have to be vulnerable. Just how it works. It's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. 
lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So, because Mary and because Jesus loved so much, their heart was on the outside, their hearts were vulnerable, giving us an example of what our hearts ought to be like. And so, we know from reading scripture, this is exactly what happened. Jesus, on the cross, his heart was pierced and blood and water flowed out. So now the heart is that gateway to the Father's house, to the Father's heart. And Mary, also pierced by a sword, or many swords, to fulfill the prophecy from Simeon in Luke chapter 2. This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. And so Mary is Our Lady of Sorrows. She shares in her her son's suffering whose heart was pierced. And so we can see in iconography the the image of the the, the swords piercing Mary's heart. Now this is all great, but what does this have to do with anything that we're talking about today? My general thesis is this is that if we are going to want to have increased capacity of our hearts to hold others, to be able to love others, the only way this happens is that it has to be wounded. You're going to have to suffer. That's it. Sorry, you'll probably want to leave by now, but that's just the reality. <laughs> only by being wounded can the heart increase in capacity for God and for others. It happened with Mary and Jesus, and if our hearts are going to be like theirs, the same exact thing has to happen to us. And so this talk is adapted from a talk that I've given before called The Wound Provides the Space. Only when the heart is wounded, only when we suffer, does the space, the, the, the capacity of the heart increase. And, and I'm going to give you three quotes. All three of them, I think, are really integral for my coming to understand this and really act as sort of the basis of this reflection. In fact, I could almost give you the three quotes and just let you let you go. The first and most important is one that you may have heard. It comes from Mother Teresa. It's very short. May God break my heart so completely that the whole world falls in. May God break my heart so completely but the whole world falls in. I think you'll understand what that means. It's a mystery, as we'll see. Another one is from a French poet from, the, I think, the beginning of the, 19th, the 20th century, Leon Bloy, B-L-O-Y. He's a Catholic poet. He said, There are places in the heart that do not yet exist. Suffering has to enter in for them to come to be. There are places in the heart that do not exist Suffering has to enter in for them to come to be. So for those who suffered, we know that is. It can create a great capacity. As we'll see, it also can risk a lot of scar tissue and shutting people off, but we're going to talk about how to overcome that. 
And the last one is from the Swiss theologian, Hansers von Balthasar, who was a great friend of Pope Benedict, and writing about Mary. He has a chapter in there. There's a little book called Mary for Today called The Wound Provides Space. In fact, it's sort of the inspiration for all of this. His, of course, is a little longer, a little bit more theologically complex. The void of poverty becomes in the New Testament a gaping wound that at the same time makes space. The inmost sanctuary is pierced, and what is finally hidden there streams out, blood and water, the inner sanctuary of Christ's heart. This happens to the dead body of Jesus, while the sword that will pierce through your own soul drives into the living body of his mother and lays bare her beating heart. Both hearts become places of refuge where sinners can hide in the same way as in the Middle Ages, when criminals on the run could find sanctuary at the altars of certain churches. Intra tua vulnera absconde me, and the hollows of your wounds hide me from the police and from their henchmen. So that's the, this idea that Mary's heart and Jesus' heart is wounded. Why? To create the space for us. And so if we are going to imitate and have hearts like theirs, we're going to have to have pierced hearts too. It creates the entryway, you know, in the anima Christi. In your wounds, hide me. We can hide in Christ's wounds, his wounded heart. But in the same way, our own wounded heart creates more space for God and more space for others. Now, of course, the temptation is to want to close the heart. This hurts too much. We put more walls up. And we, if in suffering pain, and I've seen a lot of the times, the opposite uh, reaction happens. Instead of the heart opening up to God and to other people, we become very closed and very hard and become very angry. But what changes it, or what changes to allow the heart to open up, is, like with Jesus and Mary, that pain is bearing fruit because it is suffered in love. Mary and Jesus suffer the pain in their hearts, not just for funsies, not because God randomly made them suffer, but they were able to see and suffer with others. It has some redemptive value, like the mother who is willing to suffer for and with their child. And the wound thus hollows out the heart, widens it and increases capacity while it makes it poorer, emptier, and it's painful does not feel good. But this is the key for redemptive suffering. Not only as we'll see to help others, but also to increase the capacity of our own heart. And while it could be pain that we experience as individuals, cancer, rejection, loss, so often, as I said, it's this type of pain that can make us close in on ourselves. It's not just, why is God doing this to me? It can close us off. But the suffering that I want to talk about today is the suffering that we endure for and with other people. This is the key. Now, it could be something that, yeah, you could offer up your cancer, but I'm talking about our willingness to enter into the pain of others. I've talked about if you see, if you hear, if you feel, if you are being with, it's easy to do all these things and everyone's great. But when someone is suffering, it is not that easy. 
particularly someone who is given to you. But yet this is where the transformation can really begin. Are you all with me so far? So I'm going to give you two words, two words. Again, I'm really breaking words down much more than I normally do in these talks that sort of encapsulate this idea perfectly. If you understand what the words mean, you'll understand why I say this. The first word is compassion. Calm from the Latin cum means with, passion, passio, to suffer. When we have compassion, compassion isn't, oh, look, I'm so sorry you're suffering. Here's, here's a little mint or something. <laughs> no. To have compassion is, I am willing to suffer with you, cum passio. I'm willing to suffer with you, to feel their pain, to go into the darkness, to even mourn with them. Something I read a while back in, in this book, uh, talking about the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This doesn't make any That's the one, he says, uh, beatitude that is not like the others. The other ones kind of make sense peacemakers, working for justice, pure of heart, but, but, but mourning, why? And his argument is that it only becomes blessed when you mourn with another person. I'm mourning because you're mourning. I'm suffering with your suffering, that we're doing it in communion with others. And so if I have compassion, if I can enter into your pain, if I can suffer with you, it produces a tenderness and a sensitivity to others in their own suffering. But the other word is consolation. Consolo or solus with another who is alone. Like a solo. It's the same word, or not Han Solo, but just like solo. The pain in isolation. If you have to suffer pain in isolation, it becomes suffering. But if you are with another, if you're in communion with another who is offering consolation to you, Hey, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm bringing you to the hospital. I'm going to sit by your bedside. I'm going to sit and cry with you. I'm going to help you bear this cross. Like Simon of Cyrene, you don't got to bear it alone. We're going to talk about that in a second. And this sort of consolation doesn't mean I'm going to be here, I'm going to fix it. Sometimes it means just being present. I'm just here. I listened to this podcast, and the guy said, you know how we, we say, don't just stand there, do something. But when another person is suffering, don't just do something, stand there. Just be there. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to give me an answer for it. Just be present. And one of the most beautiful sort of quotes that I've seen that expresses this idea of consolation, being with another so they're not alone, comes from Pope Benedict and his encyclical letter, Space Salve. And he says, indeed, to accept the other who suffers means that I take up his suffering in such a way that it becomes mine also. Because it has now become a shared suffering, though, in which another person is present, the suffering is penetrated by the light of love. The Latin word consolatio, consolation, expresses this beautifully. It suggests being with the other in his solitude so that it ceases to be solitude. Beautiful. And so it's the word compassion. I am suffering with you. Consolation, 
you are not alone, which leads to the third is communion. I am in union with you. A union that's brought about not because I have to, not because I'm forced to, but because I love you. Because I love you and I don't want to see you suffer, I'm willing to take on your suffering. I'm willing to be with you so that you are not alone. The love brings the union. So it comes down to that community of persons. And so this is sort of a beautiful theory of when we do this, when we learn to suffer with the other, whether we realize it or not, it begins to increase the capacity of our hearts. Because why? Why? We're putting that person in our heart. We're suffering with them. We're creating the space that allows them to be, allows them to feel what they feel, allows them to suffer. And so it is this willingness to bear the burden with and for another. And I think a lot of the times people isolate themselves and they say, I don't want to be a burden on others. I don't want to bother them. No, we should want to be burdened on others. We're called to burden other people. (laughs) Burden actually comes from the word that means to give birth, to give birth. And so like you've spent your whole entire life caring for your kids. You better believe it. You're going to be a burden on them when you get older. (laughs) And they better accept it. We should want to be a burden with each other, to be able to help carry the cross with them, to suffer with them so they're not alone. It's sort of a charism of burden bearing, maybe physical suffering, spiritual suffering, the way the Lord allows you sometimes to carry in a deep spiritual way the burden of others type of victimhood, not playing the victim, but that Christ suffered on behalf of others. It's quite possible in the history of the church, the Lord could allow you to experience the darkness or pain of someone else in the church for another person. I'm willing to do it all until the end. We're walking on this journey with the other. So I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to talk about this. It's the way of the cross. So we're willing to be with the other person, to offer them consolation, to offer them compassion, and we're doing it on the journey. We're all walking together. We are all going towards heaven, and it may be a long journey. It may be a short journey, but we cannot do it alone. We are all on the iter. We're all on the journey together. Iter is the itinerary. We're all walking together as a church as friends in community together, helping to bear the cross, helping to bear the burden. But it's not all about the journey. So we have, yes, there is, we're walking together, but the real importance is not so much the movement forwards, but the presence in the present moment. That I am present to you in your suffering. I am present to you, even if it means just sitting there, like Job's friends, even though they didn't do it the right way, Job's sitting there on the dung heap, we're going to come sit on the dung heap with you. We're going to be present to you. Now, they made mistakes, as we're going to see, but sometimes there isn't a journey. You just need to be there to love the person in their pain, just to sit with them, to be with them. And you're not going to be able to explain it or take it away. Please understand this. Someone's suffering. Well... God wouldn't give you more than you can, you can handle. Don't say that. 
God obviously was going to make you holy. Don't say that. You have no idea why God is allowing this. Don't say anything. Just say, I'm really sorry you're suffering. This really sucks, but I'm with you through it. We're going to figure it out together. And maybe we're not going to figure it out. And if we don't figure it out, it doesn't matter. We're going to journey in this together. And, and, and I've really kind of learned this lesson. I've been telling this story a lot from someone who I know who, who's struggling terribly with just a lot of trauma. And for years, trying to understand why, reading books and everything, finally began really spending some time in prayer and opening up to other people. And realized that, A, in trying to look for these answers, this is really, in her case, an attempt to control if I can understand it, I can control it. But she realized she was asking the wrong question. She was asking, Lord, why did you allow this? Until finally, after a very, very long time, she realized she was asking the wrong question. Instead of asking why, she should have asked where. Lord, where were you in the suffering? Where were you when these terrible things happened? Looking for Christ's presence and begin to do so the Lord began to reveal himself, that he was indeed there. Didn't get an answer to it, but found something different. And she realized, not only was she asking the wrong question, but that so often when we are, are suffering, we look for answers. Instead, we should be looking for presence. That Christ is present with me. And trusting in that presence. A presence that, of course can be a great consolation, but Christ is often present to us through others. Uh, This is a bit, we we, we look and God, I tell this, I don't tell a lot of jokes, because I can't remember most jokes. The ones I can remember, I can't tell in public. (laughs) But the one that that I do remember is, is, you know, because I think it's just like a deep theological depth of this. The, the flood comes, and the man and it's coming to his house, and he wants to escape. So he says, Jesus, I love you. Please save me. And about two minutes later, a car comes and says, buddy, we're getting out of here. The waters are coming. Oh, no, Jesus is going to save me. He goes to the next, the water rises up. He goes to the next floor. Lord, you're, you're all merciful. I know you're going to save me. Five minutes later, a boat comes. Say, hey, buddy, the floods are coming. We better get out of here. Oh, no, Jesus is going to save me. Finally, the waters get so high, he's in the tip top of his roof. He's like holding on to his chimney. Lord, this is your last chance. You're going to save me. Five minutes later, a helicopter comes, drops the rope and says, come on. No, the Lord's going to save me. Y'all go on ahead. And of course, he drowns. He dies. And he gets up to heaven. And he's mad. He says, Jesus, what's the deal? You said, and asking you to receive. I pray that you save me from this flood, but I drowned. And he goes, what are you talking about? I sent you a car and a boat and a helicopter. And you turned them all down. We are waiting for Jesus to open up heaven to speak to us. He is probably not going to do that. Sometimes you may hear the whisper in your heart, he's going to speak to us in and through other people. He uses prophets. He uses prophets. He uses apostles. So we resist this consolation and this compassion that the Lord sends to us or that we are called to offer other people because we want Jesus to do it directly. Like I said yesterday, your, your son is hurting, your little baby child. Oh, no, you need to go let Jesus love you in the room. Don't ask that for me. No mom would do that. No dad would do that. Then why do we do that to our friends? Why do we expect others to do that to us? It's, it's really warped thinking. We've got to get over it. 
And so, the example of this, of course, is Mary, who journeyed with Jesus on the way of the cross and then stood at the foot of the cross. Both the journeying and the presence. But Mary is there. She is journeying with him on the way. He encounters her on the way. She might be in the background, but he does get to see her and the great, imagine the consolation, the compassion that Mary had on Jesus. And then there, she's there at the foot of the cross at the most difficult time. Compassion, suffering with Jesus. Consolation, knowing that he's not alone. And communion. The communion with her son. The communion with, with Jesus. Even though it was a very painful, bloody communion, it was there. And so Mary realized, too, you know what? I cannot fix this. There's nothing I can do. I just need to be present to my son, to give him compassion, to give him consolation. And so doing so, she became the co-redemptrix, who redeemed with Jesus, who suffered with Jesus. And this is what we are called to. We're called to journey with, to be present. And in doing so, Mary's heart expanded. It was because that she was at the foot of the cross. It was because that she loved, that she could do what? She could accept John. John, take her into your home. Mary, take John into your home. She became the mother of the apostles and we'll say the mother of the church there because that suffering, the sword that went through her heart began to expand her heart. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, if we're willing to do that, then our hearts will expand too. But it's got to be done out of love. And so this is the heart of Mary. This is the heart that increases the space. And it's the heart that really becomes the, the, the great intercessor. And I think as I'm kind of putting these, these notes together, it is a sort of a bearing the burden for the other person. But it, it, this, this intercession, to, to intercede, means to go between. So you're doing this all in prayer, but you're to go between. I am inter cedere, in, in between the, 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 the spaces. And so I think this is so appropriate because we're looking at the movement of the heart, the movement of the heart that welcomes and draws people in, where the middle part is it expands and the blood is there before it compresses and sends the heart out through the ventricles. And so we're in the, the inter cedere, as the heart is coming to its maximum capacity before it begins to contract. And so this is what the heart that is drawn others in. It is like Mary at the foot of the cross. It is like Mary there standing in between Christ and the cross and the church, heaven and earth, praying for her son, praying for John, who is what? Given to her. John was given to her as she intercedes, taking all these things in her heart and doing what? Meditating on them, uh, working them around in her heart. She kept those. She contemplated those things in her heart. And it's that contemplating all of those things that allowed her heart to expand. And I think Ratzinger talks about this in a homily he gave once on priests are two priests on priestly intercession, but we're all called to be priest, prophet, and king through baptism. So I think it can apply to us. 
This, therefore, he says, is the first and innermost task of priestly ministry. I think it is of, of all intercession because the priest is the mediator. The priest is the intercessor. Understanding, taking up, and transforming human matters in prayer so that they become a cry that stands in the presence of God and draws him down again and again because his heart is moved and he therefore wants to come and redeem us. You must be praying. You must be praying. That's how the heart expands. I've taken it all in. It weighs us down. I can't do anything with it. Lord, I'm going to lift that pain up to you. You don't even need words. Jesus knows the pain of your family members, the pain of the people that you're suffering with. If you know how to love them and to allow the pain itself to become words, this is true intercession. And it has effect on other people, but it also has effect in creating more space in your heart. That's where Mary's heart really began to expand at the foot of the cross. As John was given to her, And so she had space now to be able to accept John. And if we ask for these Marian hearts, then we also are going to have the space to receive the people the Lord gives us, to suffer with them, but to intercede for them, to mediate. I think mediate also means, like the median, to be the go-in-between. Another uh, another way that we can look at those words. I'm kind of writing some of this stuff down as I'm talking, um, so I can remember. <laughs> so look, I'm gonna tell y'all. I gotta get this talk again, this retreat again in January. So can't. If I wait after it's over, I won't be able to remember where everything goes. I won't be able to remember what I talked about in January. So. I don't know if that means I'm getting senile or something, but maybe I have a lot I want to hold there. But somehow, y'all, this mystery, I can't explain it. I can't tell you how it happens, but somehow this mystery in the Marian heart and the heart of other people creates space for others. How do I know this? How do you know this? Think of the people that you know who have suffered the most for and with others and have suffered well, they have the most space. Look at the space that Mother Teresa had in her heart. Look at the people that I know in my own life, priests, nuns, religious, often moms, who, sometimes fathers, who have suffered greatly. They have tremendous capacity. I could give you stories, but you all, you all know people like this. I hope you know people like this. If you don't, uh, get out more. I don't know how it works. It just does. And, and, and if we, as we get older, this is this is how we are released from our attachments and our selfishness and that we have the space and the, to be able to receive many people, to listen, to see, to have compassion. Every single one of the people that I know, many of them who are a little bit older, who are good at that, have gone through some type of suffering. Now, some of them have gone through suffering and received tremendous grace that has enabled them to do it. But it creates a heart that is expanded. That's like a, ma- a mansion with many wings. And you're able to put a lot of people in that heart and to intercede for them. This is St. Therese. She could pray for so many people and had that big heart because she was willing to offer up her suffering in that dark night that she went through. Now, it may feel lonely in the mansion sometimes because this is the reality. 
you'll have this big old heart and everybody else has got like a little a little f- flat in Manhattan and they're paying about $5,000 a month for. That's their own problem. But the, the, they need to experience that in order for the heart to expand. And I guess y'all, this is the real key part of what I want to try to say about this and, and talking to y'all, many of you today, but also reflecting. So the way I give retreats usually is I'll have that general idea, but I want to go through it to see what the feeling is and kind of adapt it and change it. And so I'm talking about this beautiful mystery of the heart as a sanctuary and a safe place. And we draw people in and we welcome them. And then our heart expands by it being broken. And then we're going to see the, the next uh, movement of the heart and the talk for tomorrow. And how we're all called to do this. We're all called to be sanctuaries for God and for other people. But the reality is, if you haven't experienced this, you can't do it for others. That's the thing. This all sounds nice. and Everybody's like, Father, it sounds great, but no one's ever been with me. I'm suffering alone. I have all this crap in my life. I've never been loved in this way. In order for our hearts to really become like this, we can understand it. But what fashions it in that is that we need to have experienced the, another's heart as a home, the safety there, to feel welcome, to feel their presence through suffering. Now, maybe some of you have experienced it directly. Most of us will experience it with and in the church. But it's Christ working through other people. So that's why I really like realize this is not something you can learn. I can't tell you, do these five things and you're going to have this big heart. No. <laughs> Granted, because the people suffering comes and it could crush you. But we have to allow others to love us, to experience that, and in a certain sense, it begins to expand. It, you know, while our, the suffering and whatnot may be the thing that, that makes the heart bigger, it at least makes the heart more pliable so that it can expand. The spacious heart does suffer, but it's usually the, 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 the conditions necessary for it are, are because another person has loved us first. Love that heart into existence. Ideally, the parents, but it could be a spouse, a friend, creates the conditions for the heart to be able to produce fruit. It's like, you know, you get the saw ready before the rain comes. It creates the conditions before the pain comes, before the suffering comes. But here's the problem. Why doesn't this often happen? Is because we don't let it. It's too vulnerable to put my heart out there. It's too vulnerable to trust my heart to another person. But the lesson is, unless we learn to do that, unless we learn to share and ask for help in our own suffering, we're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Does this make sense? So this is like uh, the retreats that I normally give are on this point here. Hey, everybody, y'all got to start being vulnerable and quit hiding and quit living in your shame and go to therapy and let Jesus love you and talk to your family and friends. Y'all probably are saying, Father, why didn't you talk about that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I want to like give this ideal, because like I talk about the Marian heart. This is what we're all called to have. So, 
this is the necessary thing. So maybe this is like the sequel to the retreat that I should have given. I don't know. (laughs) Write that in your comments. So still, keeping this in mind, we're at this median point now where the heart has expanded, where we have allowed others in, or God willing, we're able to love them even when we're suffering, because we're suffering with them. We have compassion. We're all in it together. Communion of persons. This is your homework to reflect on. So, you know, I think, like, where, where, are the, where are the swords? What are the wounds? What are the things in your own heart that, that are suffering? That maybe you are hiding from other people. That you don't want to expose to Christ. It could be that you're suffering with other people. It could be suffering by yourself. I don't know. What are the wounds, and, 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 and is there compassion there? Second, is that real question, have you ever experienced being loved like this through your own trials and tribulations? If not, why? Maybe there's been no one there. Maybe you haven't opened yourself up. Maybe you haven't opened yourself up to the Lord. I, I don't know. That's going to you for you to pray over that. So this is, again, it's looking at, at the wounds and, and our ability to sort of be compassionate to others. And I guess that's the first one. The first one is really, where are your wounds? And have you experienced um, others' love or allowed yourself to experience others' love? The second, sort of tied to that, is the theme of the talk today. Do you find it that you can have compassion on other people? That you are able to be a consoling presence? Or do you run away from that? Do you not want to deal with it? Do you find that your heart doesn't have the space for it? So one is like your own need for it, and the other, are you able to give it? And then the scripture passage, I'm going to ask you to reflect on Mary at the foot of the cross, or Mary on the way of the cross. She's there, walking with Jesus to, the, to, the, to Calvary. What was her experience? And ask Mary to be present to you, to, to, to console you, to have compassion, and to begin to shape your heart in that beautiful way. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is, yes. The second, okay, the first one was like, look at your own heart or your own wounds and the ways that you need to be loved and are, are you sharing it? Are you allowing yourself to be seen? The second is, are you showing compassion? Do you have the capacity to show compassion to other people? How big is your heart, basically? Is it really, really small? Or is it big? Or if it's small, why is it small? How are you examining your own conscience of showing compassion, of giving consolation to other people? Or do you tend to be closed off, and why? And then finally, third, is reflecting on Mary at the foot of the cross. So what we're going to do is we're going to have our time for prayer and reflection and dinner and all that kind of stuff. We're going to have time for confession tonight. Um, and then tomorrow for our last conference before Mass, we're going to talk about the contracting of the heart and the sending the blood to the rest of the body. So we'll close the glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, was the beginning, and shall be, or without end. Amen. To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.